Want to know how to succeed with B2B SEO? Then stay tuned. Hey, I'm Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com and host of the Top 100 B2B Marketing Podcast Business Growth Show. If you haven't yet, check out my weekly emails where I share actionable website, B2B marketing, tips, podcasts, giveaways, and goodies. You can give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email. So for this episode, I was invited on the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast. We shared some best practices around B2B SEO tips, strategies, how to make best use of your content, media, and more. We also talk about using your website to turn it into a conversion machine to ensure that your sales team are fueled with a steady stream of qualified inbound opportunities. So with that, let's dive into the episode. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, Paris. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to the chat today. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so Sam Dunning, essentially, I, I run a, a web and SEO agency, webchoiceuk.com. So typically help a lot of B2B tech and B2B service companies that might be frustrated their website isn't generating a steady flow of qualified inbound ops for their sales team. So whether that's with organic search or looking at their website, helping improve the conversion rate and also making sure the leads they get are qualified and ready to speak to sales. And then, like you mentioned, I also run a, a podcast. So I, I often interview marketing leaders each week on Business Growth Show and share my own tips across websites and SEO. And in between that, mess around on LinkedIn, posting things on, on what I've just talked about. And uh, I've got a family, I've got uh, one, one, two and a half year old. So hands are full with, with lots of stuff, my friend. Sounds like it. Yeah. We're all messing around on LinkedIn on the side to different degrees. <laughs> For sure. Um, but it sounds very, very familiar because you're running an agency, you're, you're, you're podcasting and you're messing around on LinkedIn. That's pretty much how I spend most of my days also. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's, let's dive into it because our audience is mostly SaaS companies, B2B, SaaS, tech. And my sense is that a lot of times they, they build a nice website, but then over time they start to ignore it. Um, mm. what are some of the, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you think most B2B SaaS websites make and how can they, how can they address those? Oh man, there's, there's a lot, right? So if we're talking websites only before marketing, I suppose one of the main issues I see, there's two really, and they, they come mm -hmm. across design and messaging, mm -hmm. but both interlink. So a lot of tech companies, SaaS company sites I see, you can go onto the homepage and even after five, 10 seconds of kind of looking at their hero area, their banner area and scrolling through, you're still not quite sure exactly what they do or how mm -hmm. it's going to help or benefit you or the problem they solve. So they tend to use a lot of jargon, a lot of insider language. So you land on their homepage or their landing page, and you're like, yeah, it sounds quite good. I can see that they've won a G2 award. I can see they've got funding. They're saying that they're award-winning, they're cutting edge, but I'm still not sure exactly the problem they fix or how they help me. So they lack clarity is what mm -hmm. I'm getting at. They don't clearly okay. say, this is the main problem we fix. This is the benefit we bring. And this is how we're going to improve your business or life. Um, and then guide you to take some kind of next step, whether that's learning more, requesting a demo view in case study, those kind of things. Um, so that's part of it, lack of clear messaging that's going to resonate for their target audience. And then also design. So a lot of um, 
businesses, a lot of companies, especially in tech, kind of design the site around what they think looks good, what their team thinks looks awesome, instead of actually going out, talking to their existing clients, their target prospects, and understanding what they really care about, the kind of look and feel they're going for, um, the main pages on the site that they're actually interested in seeing. I mean, typically B2B buyers want to quickly get an idea that you're going to be able to bring some value to them, want to check an idea for pricing, want to see some proof of results. And then if that mm-hmm. checks all the all the boxes, they're going to want to speak to sales. And yeah, those, those are probably two of the, the biggest mistakes I see, but happy to dive mm-hmm. in deeper. Oh yeah, sure. I, I'll add one thing that I notice a lot when I arrive at a SaaS website and I look at these day in and day out. I think there's often a lot of focus on the features of a product, but but also a lack of focus on the personas or the use cases. And I think that that generally should shift. Um, it, it is natural to be proud of a product and to want to shout about the great features that it has and to have different, either to have a features page or to dedicate a lot of, a lot of the real estate to what the product can do. But what's missing is the, the particular use cases that align either with an industry or a particular role in an organization, or maybe even a mix of, of a role and that organization. Do you find that also the, to be the case? Yeah, a lot of, um, I think it's, it's a problem generally with organizations that sales reps quite often just want to talk about how great their product is. And then sometimes marketers do the same thing and just say, look, oh, we've got all these cutting edge features, this new technology and, and all that jazz. When quite often you'll find problems can resonate better. So if you can start with kind of this is the juicy, this is the bleeding neck frustration, or these are the two or three problems that we fix as mm-hmm. the kind of selling point on your homepage. And then like you say, when you get to dedicated pages on your site, whether that is talking about a specific feature or a specific product within your offering, or a demographic that you that you help, then you can go into the benefits. Then you can drill down into the features when you're on that specific page. But going for them first is it just makes makes you show up like a like a kind of white dot and a sea of the sameness, like all your competitors are doing, really, because you're just mm-hmm. saying the same things as them rather than drilling down straight away into what what prospects are, are more more caring about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I'll- the SaaS websites, I'm going to pivot over to SEO, and I think SEO is largely ignored by SaaS website uh, webmasters. And it's partly because the, web, the websites are very small. They're, they're, some of them are even one-pagers, but if not, they're, they're only a handful of, of main pages. you got the home page and the pricing page, arguably the two most important pages. You might have features pages. You might have use case pages, some mm. other stuff. You may have a blog, hopefully. But for the most part, because the site isn't that big, people tend to ignore SEO. Is that a mistake? Possibly. Depends Mm -hmm. on the organization, right? So if we're talking about a SaaS company, if they are creating a new category or in a category that's not mature, then Mm -hmm. SEO might not be the best fit because people aren't aware of the problem you fix. Perhaps people aren't aware there's a solution to fix it. The chances are they're probably not searching on Google for your offer because they're not aware your sector your category exists so in that Mm -hmm. case you're probably better off creating content creating media on the channels your audience hang out whether that's linkedin youtube podcast elsewhere but if you're in the chances are you probably in a 
are in a category that's most businesses anyway are in a category that's got a bit of maturity to maturity rather to it so people are aware that mm -hmm. there's a problem out there people are aware that there's a solution to fix it so in that case seo is going to be a big bet and like you alluded mm -hmm. to there a lot of companies kind of especially when they first start which is fair enough they just do quite simple sites like one pages um or, or just have kind of minimal content but seo can be kind of super effective i mean a lot of SaaS agencies go pretty hard on, especially funded SaaS companies, go super hard on outbound. So have a team of SDRs yeah. that are paying good money to hit the phones, hit email, etc., which is fine. Outbound's a good motion when you do it right, but then they'll neglect some of the inbound. So they'll probably invest heavily in like paid ads, mm -hmm. whether that's Google paid search. They'll probably hit up the review sites like G2, Trustera, etc., but they quite often neglect organic search. Um, because mm -hmm. they usually think it's too competitive, but that often means they haven't gone niche enough with their keyword targeting and they haven't built out their yeah. site effectively, um, which we can talk about kind of some quick wins on that. But yeah, common mistakes are not having a detailed enough website, neglecting content, not doing proper keyword research and just going for two generic terms, i.e. you run a CRM company, but you're just trying to hit keywords like CRM, CRM company and those kind of things. And it's like not mm -hmm. niche, it's not drilled down enough. Um, but yeah, SEO can be super effective the chances are people your target prospects are searching for what you do you just need to make sure you're showing up for more specific high buying intent mm -hmm. search terms yeah i think there's also a the concept of adjacent intent so it could be that people aren't searching exactly for what you do or the problem that you solve but they do have the problem and they're searching for something that's adjacent that it's close enough that even that even it is worth trying to get that person to to come to your website either through a paid click or an organic click, so to to compete on SEO for those adjacent terms. And I think that also there is something to be said there, where you can bring people from some somewhere in the neighborhood of of the intent that that that's needed over to to your side. For um, sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about SEO, right? Like you mentioned there, is you can go for high buying intent search terms. So let's say you offered a CRM that was dedicated for the finance company. For finance companies, you could target search terms like CRM for finance or best mm -hmm. best CRM for finance companies, et cetera. And that might be super high intent if someone clicks through, the mm -hmm. chances are if your website does a good job, builds some <clears> trust, um, shares how you help, they're gonna convert and request a demo. But likewise, in the middle of the funnel, people might be comparing you to another vendor. So it might be like vendor A versus vendor B or they might be trying to learn kind of a bit more into into the solution. So that might be mid-funnel. And then right at the top top early funnel, they might be looking for like what to consider before investing in CRM or how to mm -hmm. find a CRM for a financial institution or five tips to, to make sure CRM is like a seamless integration for sales, which could be really early learning stages, but positions your brand as like a thought leader in the space. So there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways that SEO can be useful earlier in the sales process. And likewise, it can integrate with other campaigns. So if you're running like demand gen, so maybe you're doing organic content on LinkedIn, if you're running paid ads on LinkedIn, if people are seeing you there, and then likewise, they're seeing you in Google organic search, it's going to just build up your brand, build up your trust levels even more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the struggles that we've had is when, when we try to go niche with a, in a category. So take the example CRM for finance companies. Uh, the issue that we face in these situations is that people are not searching p 
people don't indicate their industry with their search with their search term. So even if someone in the finance industry is looking for a specialized CRM that fits their needs and their workflow, they still wouldn't indicate that in the search term. So it's not really, um, it's still very difficult to target people by industry in, in search, either paid search or SEO. And then, then you naturally think, well, then we we're only left with LinkedIn industry targeting on LinkedIn. Uh, is there a way around that? Is, um, is there a way to sniff out, to sniff out the industry that's associated with the, with the right intent in search? Yeah, it's not, I'm not going to lie to you and say that there is a golden ticket to winning because mm -hmm. ultimately, like you say, it might be that some industries lack a certain amount of um, search traffic. Some, mm -hmm. some just might not be worth targeting. So you can, as I'm sure you've shared on the, on the show before, you can use tools, whether it's Ahrefs, SEMrush, Google Keyword Planner to kind of get info on the data, get, under, get an understanding of whether some search terms are actually yield the traffic that are worth targeting mm -hmm. but with that said sometimes the data is not always accurate and it can be that you can target search terms that show up as having hardly any searches a month and then you get onto them and they're actually performing really well um mm -hmm. but you want to you want to test like a lot of things a lot of marketing's experiment experimentation so it might be that if you are in the crm space and you hit a certain segment you do have to do a bit of ex experimentation so you might have to go mm -hmm. for some more generic terms, whether that's like CRM for small business and things like that, if you are tapping into that. And at the same time, you might want to, let's say you hit two or three industries, you might want to try manufacturing for finance, um, for agriculture, and kind of see if any of those build out dedicated pages for each with the problems you fix and the benefits you provide, provide some mm. useful content on there, some FAQs and all that good stuff. If they don't hit as well, yes, you might have to branch out into other channels like you mentioned, whether that's creating content to educate the market on LinkedIn around your area of expertise and the sectors you, you help. Um, SEO is not necessarily a magic bullet. It's not necessarily going to capture everything. So I often say mm -hmm. it needs to be part of a, a multi-channel um, strategy with, with some paid, yeah. with some organic and, and such. Yeah. I would also add there that uh, the Google Search Console also gives you great data, which is looking well looking backwards instead of looking forward so if you if you wanted to launch industry focused pages and you still had some doubts of whether or not there was there was enough search demand to to really justify creating those pages maybe the keyword the keyword research tools wouldn't show you that search demand but then when if you launch those pages later you see that google's sending a lot of traffic to those pages and you can dig into the actual search queries that are coming out of google search console and then you can determine, well, it looks like there is more, there is more, more demand than we thought. Or maybe you'll even discover that Google is sending some other different related keywords to that page that you didn't realize. And then yeah. that could lead you to either consolidate pages or create new pages. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, based one. On that. That's a nice tip. Another one you can do as well as if yourself, if you run the company or your sales team are getting common questions on a particular issue around the industry you focus on. So for, let's say, for example, each week you're getting questions like, what's the easiest way to upload data from, I don't know, um, HubSpot into your CRM or for your, right, from Gmail into your CRM. Or if you're getting these questions mm -hmm. time in, time out, well, that's something people want to know. Let's create content for it. Let's create an article page on our website. Maybe yeah. let's create a video around it, a dedicated podcast. 
if these things are constantly coming up and then if your website can be searched for that because you've got the dedicated article page that's super useful answers those questions and um, mm -hmm. that's another way you can actually create content that matches demand and search intent yeah do you think it's a good idea for the search marketers to spend one day a month on customer customer support calls to get that hear the voice of the customer for search marketers yeah, so that they can actually hear those questions that are coming back from from real customers and problems that they have, and then mm. they can turn those questions into content. I think it's a good idea. I think what you can do is I often say, depending on the size of your organization, right? I mean, just meet up with, you don't necessarily have to get directly on the customer calls. You can either, if you've got the facility, listen to recordings, whether that's yeah. Gong or whatever kind of cool recording software you use, or just get with your sales team, like you say, spend like a couple hours a month, have some drinks, have some coffees, have some beers, and just say, look, guys, what are the questions that are coming up time and time again on these sales mm -hmm. calls? And the sales team are going to jump in straight away and they'll be like, people are asking this, people are asking this. Mm -hmm. um, but also, not just the questions, what are the common objections and frustrations we get? Because um, yeah. if you can address objections, like a sales superpower is nearly is putting objections at the front, front-loading objections on a sales call. Because if you address mm -hmm. them yourself, and the prospect's not bringing them up. And, you kind of uh, you kind of neutralize, yeah. You neutralize, you neutralize the, the prospect then at that point, right? You anticipate and neutralize, mm -hmm. yeah. And the website, your website can do the same thing, because if your if your information pages on your website each have FAQs that are the most common frustrations and questions you get on that particular category, service, mm -hmm. product, or topic, you're addressing them before the customer brings them up on a sales call. Um, so it might be like, why is this solution so expensive? And then you're addressing that. Or mm -hmm. how long does it take to integrate? Or how do you stack up against competitor B? Or what's the timeline to get results? Like these questions mm -hmm. that customers bring up each week, your sales team will help you address them on your pages, address them on your videos, your podcasts that are integrated into your website. And that way mm -hmm. you're saving sales team stress, you're putting customers' minds at ease, and you're actually driving more conversions because you're probably the most helpful piece of content on the, on the web. Mm -hmm. Nick Bennett, the Director of Sales at Inbound Marketing Agency Impact, had a booking problem. Before, on HubSpot meetings, their website visitors had to take a huge seven or eight clicks from form submission through to meeting booked. Plus, they couldn't see who was abandoning midway through. With the help of Chili Piper, they're down to around just three clicks to book meeting and have full visibility into any drop-offs. One main friction point before was lead routing. HubSpot meetings added a form field plus two extra clicks just to do this. Chili Piper allows them to distribute leads to the right sales rep super fast. As a result, Impactful have increased book meetings and provide a web experience both web visitors and their revenue teams love. We're constantly trying to just make the web experience better. To us, the most valuable thing was providing a delightful experience for people on the website because that's often the first touch point people have with us as people. Get your free demo of Chili Piper today at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash BGS. Are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, 
but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. So then, Sam, are you saying that that should be the driving force for content creation, the voice of the customer before the keyword research? In a word, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because, well, they, they're almost, they come together, right? Because these days, it's, it's especially in competitive industries, it's hard to, hard to rank. I mean, you can do things like this, the sky, especially for kind of super competitive terms. You can do things like the skyscraper technique where you check mm-hmm. out certain search terms you want to rank for see what your competitors are doing on their pages and then try to one-up them in all angles like yeah better content better insights unique statistics youtube summaries etc but if you can actually get and handle these things we've just talked about unique insights um around customer questions objections frustrations and address those and at the same time put in some good keyword research you're making sure you're weaving in the necessary search terms, topics, you're building out the website technically to address all those things. So if you can kind of interweave them nicely, it's, it's a win-win really. Mm-hmm. I, I also have found myself more and more going to into the people also ask section in the search results. And oftentimes that's, it's pretty high up on the page. Sometimes it's, we have the featured snippet and then the people also ask and and then below that, you've got technically the first ranking result, organic. Now, I'm ignoring all the ads, of course. And the people also ask, I think, represent a great opportunity too, because that that's prime real estate. And I don't know how you would consider that in terms of ranking, but I, I think that Google is looking for content for those questions. Mm. And if if you can answer their customers' questions and problems, I think there's a good chance to get in that people also ask uh, section. Yeah, it's a nice point. I mean, ultimately, if you just try and try and create content off the top of your own head or the top of your marketing team or your content team's head, it's like your your mind is a limited resource. But also going back to what I said at the start, you're kind of designing it around or you're building it around, crafting it around what you think is going to work. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're literally taking the words from your customers, whether that's sales calls, maybe you're active on LinkedIn and you quite see you'll quite often see these questions popping up on other people's posts or your own mm-hmm. posts. Um, why not address those? And likewise, you can go to sites like Reddit and Quora to get these kind of these Intel, yeah. um, these ideas. Why not utilize what your actual prospects are asking? Because the chances are, if it comes up a lot, there's going to be a lot of demand and people are probably searching for that query. Mm-hmm. Now, what I have another question for you, Sam, which is I've seen a trend now of LinkedIn posts getting longer and longer and almost becoming, it almost seems like they're, they're blog posts that have moved from, from the company blogs into LinkedIn. And I guess there's also a trend that I sense that people are more and more going to LinkedIn to not only to network, but actually to educate themselves and to get answers mm-hmm. as opposed to going to Google search, which leads them to blogs. Mm-hmm. And do you believe that that is a real trend? And would that 
make an argument that certain topics ought to be addressed first as LinkedIn posts and then only later expanded into larger blog posts or not even blogged at all? Yeah, I, I, I often argue with Chris Walker on his posts when he says that um, kind of SEO is dying out almost and mm -hmm. uh, people are now using dark social, whether mm -hmm. that is kind of social LinkedIn or what other social channels they're on and then going to internal hidden communities like whether well, that's WhatsApp groups, Slack, Slack Hangouts, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, you're right. A lot of people do find information they need, educate themselves on LinkedIn because it's a great platform for B2B. You can literally connect with a bunch of people in, in, um, in markets and industries you want to learn about, learn information quick in the feed, whether that's long form text posts, video posts, article posts, um, image posts, videos, whatever. Yeah. Great, great channel. I do it myself and I've kind of one business from there and I often do business with people after I follow them for ages. But everyone, the thing to remember is that everyone buys a bit differently. So if you limit yourself mm -hmm. to one channel, not only that, but LinkedIn's a rented space. So LinkedIn can change the goalposts as they like to do, change the algorithm. So mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of limiting yourself to rented land if we're looking at it from a B2B SaaS perspective. Um, so having multiple lines in different platforms and channels is always smart to build up brand, build up awareness, educate the market, and also most importantly, generate inbound. So LinkedIn, very good channel, mm -hmm. completely agree. But people still go to search. People are still... Um, some people will only use LinkedIn, will only use communities. Absolutely right. Might use YouTube, might use podcasts. Mm -hmm. Other people will still use search, whether that is searching a query, searching directly for a type of company or comparing companies. They can use search and whether they're going to click the organic listing, the paid listing, or maybe they'll go to a review site because review sites tend to rank mm -hmm. super well. Um, yeah. G2, Clutch, etc. So people have different buying habits. People research things differently. If you limit yourself to one channel, you're ultimately hamstringing your business, especially if it's a rented channel like LinkedIn or another social channel. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always good to have assets you own, whether that is organic search, website, email list, podcast. That way you've got multiple lines in the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to think about it. It's not an either or question. Um, there's, no, there's no reason why not to do both. But I think now if the two coexist, I still believe that LinkedIn and social, dark social, that's still going to be relatively short form content compared to what you'd put onto a blog. Um, and is, you are right though, to go back to your previous point there, like some content that does show on Google isn't as relevant. There is still blog posts that are just more clickbaity and mm -hmm. not really, like you say, you can go to LinkedIn and get more insights, but then that's your job as the business or the marketer to actually make mm -hmm. sure your content does all those things we just talked, talked about earlier to make sure it is genuinely useful to your customers not just yourself or what you think is good mm -hmm. and tries to position your brand your company as the go-to in your industry um mm -hmm. so you've got to consider that because if not then people might just disregard your blog and go to another channel like linkedin or a community to get get advice right yeah and all this being said i still believe if if you go to a website that that, that doesn't blog actively that to me it's it's a perception issue I, I question, well, why aren't they there? There's a lack of thought leadership here. Maybe they do have a great product, but why is, why is the last blog post from six months ago? And, and, and then the one before that was three months prior. So they've given up on that. Why are they not, you know, investing in this? And it raises to me, it raises a little bit of credibility questions immediately. If I see that, um, other than blog posts though, what are the, what are the types of content 
can B2B SaaS companies get into a regular habit of producing that can drive that consistent organic growth and also contribute to conversion rate optimization and, and lead generation? Yeah, yeah. So I guess from the organic side of things, I mean, you want to start with the basics, right? When it comes to mapping out your site. So like you say, a lot of SaaS companies have rather small sites, just a few basic pages to begin with, and then a mm -hmm. demo form. Um, so mapping out key pages. So let's say you've kind of done a bit of research into some of the search terms you actually want your website to rank for, whether that's people looking directly for what you do, whether that's people comparing options, whether that's people just trying to learn more about the industry or at the top of the funnel, then you want to make sure your website is a useful resource for those pages. So quite often that means just simply mapping out, doing good on-site SEO, on-page SEO. So having a dedicated page for mm -hmm. each of the main services you offer, each of the main locations you serve, each of the main demographics you serve, um, and then making sure those pages follow best practices, addressing the problems you fix, the features, the benefits, having some unique insights, maybe having some case studies, social proof, testimonials, answering mm -hmm. those common questions like we talked about. So really making sure they're super useful resources, just not, not necessarily just sales focused, but also building trust, answering questions, and then having that call to action to take the next step. Um, like you mentioned, having our blog section, again, going to help you rank. Um, and all that good mm -hmm. stuff. And then in terms of off-page content, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways you can go about it in terms of organic SEO. So they're even the best, if you're going for super competitive terms, like there will be in the CRM space example, even having the best possible content um, or article pages, it might not rank if there's kind of giants you're trying to compete against. Mm -hmm. So chances are you're going to probably need to build some links because your competitors are doing it. And to actually juice up those pages, you're probably going to need to build some quality links, which is something we've not talked about just yet. So there's actually quite a few free ways and lesser known ways that B2B SaaS companies or companies in general can build some decent links. Mm -hmm. And quite a lot of them are just under your nose that like you're not even thinking about them. Um, so some ways that I often share, one is podcasting, just like we're doing now. Um, so you mm -hmm. can literally go on to a site like chartable.com, which is a podcast chart site. You can search for the location you want to tap into. You can search for your industry. And then you can view the top 50, 100, 200 podcasts in your sector. You can reach out to the hosts of those shows, organize an interview with them, whether you reach out on LinkedIn, email, however you want to connect with them. Give them a quick snapshot into what, what value you can provide for the show um, and ask if they're open to having you on. And then if you do that recording, not only does it give you great PR and brand, you're giving value to that audience and that relevant audience in your sector but then you mm -hmm. can often these hosts will put an article page on their website like a blog on that dedicated episode you can ask for a link back to your site and likewise maybe they want you to, to return one um which is fair enough that's mm -hmm. one simple way to build up credibility and get a link to your site others other techniques um, that's that's are, a great one by the way i, I love that one so swapping uh, the blog post links, because these are contextual links to, to editorial content. And I think these are the most nat natural looking links to Google as well, endorsing editorial content. It's, it's almost a triple hitter as well, Paris. It's like three benefits to the price of one because you get industry credibility. As long as you're not mm -hmm. talking about how great you are on the podcast, you're actually giving genuine tips and insights mm -hmm. and being helpful. So you get that. Then they'll probably promote the podcast on socials. So you get another boost there. And mm -hmm. then you get the link. So it's like evergreen content times three. Um, yeah. So really big benefits. Uh, another way is if you've got existing clients, existing contacts, existing partners, 
um, that are having reputable websites. Their website's been around a while. It's got some authority. Why not create some content with them? So the chances mm-hmm. are you've already got a relationship. So hit them up, say, hey, guys, do you want to kind of boost your SEO? Let's, let's create an article together on a topic that we're relevant kind of linked to, or let's create a video series together. Um, like in our case, so we do websites in SEO, maybe we'd hit up like an analytics company like Hotjar or, I don't know, a heat map company and just say, look, do you fancy creating some, some videos together on talking about the problems we fix, educating the market, being useful, mm-hmm. put out a little video series put some articles together on each other's websites. And again, a nice kind of good hitting backlink for each other on those. Um, Those are just a couple quick things that you might not have even thought about that you can kind of get some nice links and also at the same time, create some brand and credible content. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, Sam, does do links are links as powerful in the algorithm today as they were years ago? It's a tough one because Content can rank without links, especially mm-hmm. when it's niche and it's more longer tail. So it's not just one or two two words search. Um, so when you're going more longer tail, when you're going for more specific queries, like we talked about earlier, like a dedicated segment in the CRM space, um, chances are if you create super good content, it's well optimized, it's well thought out, it could probably rank. But when you're going mm-hmm. to more generic terms that are very competitive, like I say, you can have killer content, but the chances are your your competitors are going to have big hitting links to their sites from reputable sites. So if you're just trying to put out decent content, probably not going to stand a chance. So that's mm-hmm. when kind of, in my opinion, anyway, having building some quality back links is actually going to help you when it gets more and more competitive. That's when they come more into play. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's okay to buy links? Most people say they don't, but most agencies, most companies, most people do. Um, Mm -hmm. so as long as you're doing them and as long as you're getting them from ethical sources, then Mm -hmm. most companies I speak to do, I don't know what your thoughts are. I think it's okay. Um, I I think it's okay to compensate someone for, uh, for for value that they're giving. Um, and I, I also realize it's clearly against Google's guidelines because it's manipulative uh, in their algorithm. Um, but I think the reality is that for the most competitive terms, a lot of those rankings are driven by paid links. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And think about it in other industries as well, like moving away from SEO, like B2B is coming more into influencer marketing as well, which is almost yeah. like on the same thing. Like you're paying for links yeah. to yeah, boost your Google credibility. Likewise, B2B, you might pay to sponsor an industry relevant podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Some people even pay like well-known influencers on LinkedIn to do posts for them. Um all these kind yeah. of things are coming into play. It's not that different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the still SEO has been around and, and one of the most popular things to do is to say that, that it's dead. And every couple of years that there's another movement of uh, the SEO is dead. But what you really are implying there is that people have stopped searching, but that's clearly not the case. And I think even Google has made huge efforts to stay on the cutting edge of how people are searching. Because now that most searches happen on mobile devices, the, the method of searching is very different. People are, people are speaking more, they're asking questions, and that long tail is getting longer and longer when you consider that people are speaking into their phone now instead of typing, typing a, a three or four word query into, the, into their laptop like they did five years ago. Um, I think, yeah, I think- It's more it's about adapting that. really to that. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not that it's not that SEO is dead because I mean it's for example it's our number one source of inbound, and it's a lot of lot, lot of the same for clients. But it's more that people's habits have changed. It's like you say, people aren't necessarily just just going to Google search. They might they might search queries. They might learn more there, but they're also going to other channels. So they are B two B wise using LinkedIn checking things out on YouTube. They're listening to industry podcasts. They're asking their peers and communities and hangouts and channels like Slack. Um, so they're doing a mix. Um, they're maybe using LinkedIn ads as well. So if you can take that multi-channel approach and if you can kind of show up in organic search consistently and you can show up on the other channels as a useful resource and at the same time position your website, not just jamming a load of content and keywords in there, but actually trying to make it as helpful as possible by doing all these things that we've talked about to actually educate the market, to answer questions, to handle objections, then SEO is going to be a winner for you. And at the same mm -hmm. time, you've got a solid website that's designed for idle clients that does build trust and that can convert effectively and kind of follows good technical, like it loads fast and all that good stuff and works smoothly on yeah. mobile and PC, then yeah, it's, um, it's going to work when it's done thoughtfully. Yeah. Can you help explain to our audience this concept of core web vitals? Core web vitals? Yeah. I can, I can to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> it changes. I mean, the, the thing is, there's, there's a bunch of things to, to, to think about. Um, some things, quite a big part of it, or a big part of mm -hmm. when they first launched the web vitals update was things like page speed. Um, mm -hmm. So making sure your site loads fast, which... Some companies like to over-optimize for it, some under-optimize, and some sites are just super slow. And chances are, if your website's slow, it's going to frustrate a prospect and they're going to head to a competitor. So mm -hmm. making sure your website loads smoothly, loads quick, um, whether that is checking it on a tool like PageSpeed Insights and making sure thing, common, com common issues are things like having too many animations, having scrolling banners, having heavy videos, heavy images, all that kind of stuff, using too many plugins if you've got a WordPress site. So using tools like PageSpeed Insights, you can literally see how fast your website is on mobile and PC. It gives you a mm -hmm. bunch of tweaks and changes, and then you can look to optimize those with your web team. Um, other things like making sure the website works smoothly on mobile and PC. Um, so a lot of companies are still doing old school responsive design um, that just mm -hmm. adapts to devices, but actually going for a mobile first design. So you design separately for mobile and separately for desktop. Mm -hmm. So you can give people an awesome experience no matter what device they open on and mapping it out yeah. nicely um and then kind of the back end of your site so if you use a uh, platform cms like wordpress or another open source making sure the platform's well maintained so we're keeping the platform up to date not using too many plugins to blow out the site keeping those plugins updated keeping it secure using an ssl certificate to keep the https padlock up those are just a few there is quite a lot of other bits and pieces mm-hmm and in your work with your clients, uh, how much of it, <clears throat> how much of the ongoing work after upfront, I presume upfront audits, <clears throat> how much of the ongoing work do you focus on maintaining te that technical foundation of SEO health and hygiene versus helping them to build out content so that they can, they can grow organically? Yeah. So often it depends on what resource they've got in house. So some companies might have a, Larger companies might have a web team that might want to manage the site where we might just give recommendations. So you might just mm -hmm. say, look, technically this month, we want to do some updates to, to the platform where we've reviewed that we need to update, I don't know, the heading tags, the metadata, we need to do some of that, but more 
to the actual technique, more to the actual kind of structure of the site. Mm-hmm. We might also say, like you say, we need to reshape some plugins. We need to do um, some speed work. We need to kind of do some mobile work, etc. Um, but yeah, it depends on the depends on the facilities that the company has in house. We'll give some recommendations. Um, but that aside, a lot of it is going to be analyzing the content, looking at the structure on site, making sure the pages on site are kind of as effective as possible. And then looking at off-page SEO, what are the opportunities that we can do in terms of distributing content, in terms of building some good links, in terms of ramping up the organic positions for some of the target search terms. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. depending on the the campaign, if it's like a a full campaign end to end, so doing their website, doing their links, doing their content, doing their distribution, then we're gonna I keep it keep an eye on most things. Yeah. When when is it the right time, or how do you know when it's time to either remove a page or update a page, remove it from Google's index or, uh, or overhaul it to, to, to make it more relevant with old content. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I suppose like a simple answer is in terms of overhauling. So if you've got, if you've got pages that were ranking well, IE first page and they've suddenly dropped, it might be that it's time for a refresh. Or likewise, mm. if you've got old articles in your blog or your resource pages that are maybe a couple of years old, um, chances are they could do with a freshen up. And quite often with article pages, just by making a few small tweaks, you can actually get them ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, i.e. if it was like top tips for 2020 and then you kind of rename the title, like let's say it was, I don't know, CRM best practices for 2020 and then you rename it to 2022, um, five hot tips or something like that. And then you freshen mm-hmm. up the page like you add a couple more insights, maybe you add a, an interview with an industry leader, maybe you add some more common questions. So you just freshen up a bit with some more relevant, up-to-date quest, um, content and questions. Those Just doing yeah. that sometimes can take it from page two to page one um, just by mm-hmm. adding a, a new lease of life into existing content. Um, so that's mm-hmm. a nice way. Um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts in terms of kind of when, when it's a good, good time to de-index pages or freshen them up. Yeah, man, I, I agree with everything that you just said. Usually the way that we approach this is uh, if if a page hasn't received any organic traffic in, I don't know, about about a year, zero, and it also doesn't have any links flowing to it, it, it really has no value in it, and it clutters up Google's index. It's kind of indexation bloat. So any pages like that, can I think they can safely be de-indexed and removed entirely. If those pages have links, then you, you certainly would want to, instead of removing them or deleting, removing the pages from the index, you want to redirect them somewhere to preserve the link juice. So you don't want to lose that link juice. And um, and then if the, if the page looks like it has slipped in the rankings, I think what you said is, is spot on. I mean, how can we, how can we revive this and freshen this up? So let's look at the SERP. Let's see who now ranks for that term and, or ranks top three or top five. And essentially try to build, think about it like a Venn diagram. You know, each of those pages that are ranking top three cover a certain depth of topics. But if you can circle that Venn diagram and cover all that, it's kind of similar to a skyscraper technique. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Then you can can get back up there. Yeah, another thing that's mm -hmm. neglected as well is not just the position of the page, but the actual ability of the page to maintain visitors. So also looking Mm -hmm. at the analytics of the page, i.e., what are the bounce rates rates yeah. on this page that we're trying to rank? 
are they 60 78 percent higher well they need work because people are going on this page and then jumping off pretty quickly and that could be because you don't answer the question quick enough you don't address the query um it's it might be clickbaity so the content itself doesn't resonate with the topic um mm. perhaps it doesn't build trust it doesn't have social proof doesn't have case studies reviews etc um there's a number of reasons and then the mm -hmm. session time if people aren't spending much time on the page either they're only spending a few seconds rather than a few minutes then how can we improve the quality of the page what's missing do we need to mm -hmm. do some customer interviews do we need to talk to our prospects about kind of how they feel the site site could be improved it's, that's a super powerful thing in general if you can get your existing customers who are target prospects to actually review your website it adds another layer um to your site so you can actually make sure that your content resonates the message resonates and they can also like one of the best things you can ask ideal prospects is what can we do to improve our website like if you can get mm -hmm. them to spend five or so ten minutes just looking at your site looking at your homepage headlines looking at your information page pages and you ask them what's missing and if they say well you've got a pricing page on your site this is common issue with b2b SaaS. you've got a pricing mm -hmm. page but it doesn't actually tell me pricing it says fill in this form to speak to sales hold mm -hmm. on that's not pricing um at the very least if you don't have a b and c rates then give me a range product a from mm -hmm. a to b products b from c to d product c from yeah. d to e etc um it's not a pricing page if it doesn't have pricing and the chances are people are going to bounce off pretty quick um mm -hmm. so yeah, that's there's a lot of issues, a lot of things that SaaS companies, B2B companies, tech companies like to hide on their website, which ultimately mm -hmm. need leads to poor quality, unqualified leads getting fed to their sales team, which frustrates yeah. prospects and sales reps. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that a lot of a lot of folks want to empower the salespeople to to give them some flexibility, not box them in with a with a pricing, transparent pricing on the website. Um, but Buyers are 99% oh, of the time they're looking for some indication, even if it's not a specific price. As you said, it's a range that, you know, it's typically going to be between A and B to give them some some sense of, uh, of the investment. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like your website can literally be your very worst or your very, the very best salesperson. Mm. And if you think of your website as a sales rep, like if you ask the sales rep straight up, like what's your pricing? And they say, I can't tell you now, I've got to get you on a 30 minute discovery call. And it's like, well, hold on, I want to quickly chat, tell if I can afford this or not. Just give me a range. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, clients tend to invest from 10K per year. Do you see yourself falling in that bracket or is that way off the mark? Great. Uh, that's actually a bit high. No worries. Um, we, we can speak in six months when you're ready. Or yes, mm -hmm. that works. Let's set up a further conversation. But your website's the same. If you don't share it, your competitor probably is. Um, and if you're a buyer that's not got much time, you're a busy CMO, a busy sales director, whatever, you're just going to head off to a competitor that actually is more transparent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, these are some great tips, Sam, and uh, we could probably riff all day on SEO <laughs> and get could. deeper and deeper into the weeds. And I, I do miss this stuff a lot myself. Um, as we wrap up here, is there is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you or anything else that you think can benefit our audience? Yeah, I think we've given some SEO tips. I mean, if you want more, there's plenty on Business Growth Show, my podcast. But um, in terms of the site, I suppose it's just ultimately, really, really, the main thing I want to draw home is with the SEO tips aside, like building your website as as the best resource it can be to prospects. So making sure as soon as someone lands on your website, 
it loads fast, it loads pretty quickly. It quickly shares what you do, how you help, and then guides people to learn more, whether that's viewing your work, requesting mm -hmm. a demo, etc. Then think of it from a B2B buyer's shoes. The chances are if they've if your homepage has done a good job and done outline those things, it's got some social proof quickly as well, some brands you work with, some case studies, some reviews, then they're probably gonna wanna check pricing. So they're gonna flick to your pricing page. A few best practices for pricing is to, yeah, give a range or share your key plans, then answer mm. some common questions around pricing. Why is it so expensive? How long is integration? What are the common questions? Have some social proof there as well. Also, they probably wanna see some proof of results. So whether that's a case study page, client stories, client reviews, et cetera. Um, they might have questions again around that. So answer those. And then they're going to speak to sales quickly, but they're going to speak to sales on their terms to give people multiple mm -hmm. options to be, to speak to sales, whether that is booking on time on the calendar, email direct, filling out a form, giving you a call. If you can give people multiple ways to speak to sales, they can choose the channel that fits them best, mm -hmm. whether that is click to call on mobile or booking a demo on desktop, whatever. So think about what your buyers want to see quickly, address that on your website, because if you don't, your competitors will, and your competitors are simply going to steal your leads. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Sam, thanks very much for being with me today. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. And there you have it. I hope today's SEO and website tips have been of use. As always, if you're on YouTube, a quick subscribe is appreciated or on the audio podcast, a rating or review goes a really long way. And with that, I'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers.